And I want to take a moment and do just a quick review. Who, who is this? The, the, just the five W's, basically. Who is this written to? Go ahead and just shout it out. Timothy. Okay, it's pretty obvious. Who's it written by? Paul. So Paul the Apostle, written to Timothy. Where is it written to? Ephesus. All right, so Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus working to help them understand certain things. Uh, What were those things? Why was it written? Okay, instruction how to handle problems. False teachers. All right. There's a, there's a key idea or a key concept that, that runs through all of this. And that there is false doctrine, false teachers, bad things, and there's the truth. And you, Timothy, and as a result, we who read it and study it and learn from it, we need to understand what is false and what is true. And obviously, then follow what is true. Now, last week, the first thing the very first thing that Paul wanted done was something that we looked at last week. What was that? I know it's been a long week. I think I heard it. What was it? Prayer. To pray. He said, first and foremost, at the beginning of chapter 2, I want everyone everywhere to pray. But he he used a, a word, therefore. On what basis did he want us to pray? You remember, I think that was two weeks ago. My, my time frames get off a little bit. But prior to that, we looked at what was God's desire? That all men would be saved. That's the focus. There's false doctrine. There's true doctrine. And, and contained within that, not just so that you know it, so that you're big and smart and can wax eloquent for hour upon hour, but so that people will get saved. God's desire is that everyone come to know him as their personal savior. So I had an opportunity to talk to Chris just a little bit. And I, I didn't get a long chance to share the gospel or pray with him or do things of that nature. But we have opportunities to share the love of Christ in simple, everyday ways all the time. But more than that, we have the opportunity to pray for people. So as we begin, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to dig into Scripture and take a look at the next section of what God has through Paul to tell us about what is good doctrine, good teaching, and the way that we ought to live so that people will be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your gift to us of Jesus Christ. Father, as we dig into your word, I pray that you would give us wisdom, give us understanding. Father, we're going to be hitting a a difficult section. But Lord, you've given us your word so that we know what is true and what is right and so that we can live for you so that others will be saved. Father, help us to keep that forefront in our mind at all times whether it's here as we study or whether it's as we go out into the world around us, help us to remember that you love all of us and you desire that everyone would hear the gospel and respond to it and trust you as their personal savior. 
Help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modesty, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as benefits women, making a claim to godliness. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. I wanted to start off and open up with just a little bit of discussion. I'm going to ask the question, and then I want the guys to answer. What do you expect from this passage? What were you... I, I assume most of you have read it, hopefully in the last week... But if not, at least sometime during this study of 1 Timothy, I've been encouraging and reminding and hoping that you will read the text because that's the first step, is reading it, and then we understand it. So if you've read this passage, what, what do you expect from this morning's sermon as we, as we delve into it? Any other guys that are... Huh? Careful. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody brave enough... Just that's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking. What What do you expect from this passage? To be in prayer. Okay. Okay. Women, women in general, and their role in church. Okay. I did hear a lady down here, I will, I will come back to that, but I wanted to give the guys a, a chance because I know they're a little hesitant. How many of you read through this and were a little bit nervous and a little bit afraid and a little bit, whew, thank you guys for your honesty, I was as well because this is a tough passage and there's a lot of challenges in it. Ladies. I open it up to you. Same question. What were you expecting from this passage? Guidance. Guidance? Okay. Respect. Huh? Respect. Respect. Okay. Clarification. Clarification. Okay. Anybody else? Reminder. A reminder. Okay. This passage is hard. It's tough. It's difficult because there are some very difficult words in it. You start digging into Scripture, and, and if you come on Wednesday nights, or if you got my, my handout um, and started doing some pre-study, you know that there's a lot of Greek words in here, and some of them are only used in this passage. And that makes it difficult to understand, because we don't have the context of Scripture to interpret what those words mean, and how to, how to understand them, and how to understand their usage. It's also difficult because it has hard concepts. There are things in this that are not popular 
in the world around us. Uh, I, I think that's what I heard over here somewhere was that, you know, it's, it's counter to the, to the norms of the world around us. And that makes it difficult because sometimes when we follow what the scriptures say, it takes us different ways than the world is taking us. It's hard to follow. Once, once we dig through this, we're going to find that there are some things that are difficult just to implement. And as I've said before, and I will continue to say, Scripture is not there just for us to get it up here. It's for us to, to implement, to change our lives, to do something different than what we used to do as we are step-by-step step conformed to the image of Christ. So this one's hard. And obviously, depending on who you're talking to with this one, it can be challenging just to discuss it because of all of the the stuff that goes on and all of the different ways that this has been understood. Um, this section has gotten a lot of attention, much of it on the extremes. This passage has been used either to throw out everything that Paul has ever written. This is kind of the modern thing because Paul is just a misogynistic, hates women, gives them no respect, and so they want to be rid of everything that Paul has to say. I would contest that that's a wrong way to deal with this, obviously. Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction. That's what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. On the other end of the spectrum, this passage has been used in a very disrespectful, anti-according-to-what-God-has-said to subjugate and oppress and unfortunately even to abuse positions, particularly men over women, in the way that people function. And that also is wrong and bad. And the two extremes are failing to achieve the balance and the structure and the, the ideal that Paul is presenting and wants us to understand. Because of it's so divisive, I may end up reading quite a bit. That's not my norm. I like to, to interact and talk more freely, but there are certain things in this that I, I really want to focus in on. And also, as you know, I have a tendency to go off on rabbit trails. And I love rabbit trails. They're great. They're wonderful. But this one, there are so many other areas that we could go into that, that need to be dealt with, that ought to be a focus, but not for this morning. They're not part of this particular passage. Most of the attention in this passage is given to verses 11 and 12. And we're going to address those. But I think that there is so much more in this passage that we can see and that we can understand. Um, it has been said that we need to major in the majors and minor in the minors. I think one of the reasons that this passage has been misunderstood is that people will take certain small minor parts and make that the major, make that the focus. And partly that's bad hermeneutics. That's, that's poor understanding of what the text actually says. Partly it's wanting to take you know, their own ideas and shove that into Scripture and make it say what they want it to say. One of the great examples of that in this passage that's really simple to deal with is this idea of lifting holy hands. Does that mean that everyone should be like this every time that we worship and pray? Or... Does it mean something else? 
Well, it's actually a minor thing in this passage. There's, there's a far bigger issue going on. And so if you take that and say that this passage is just about the posture in which you stand, you're missing the point. There's so much more in this. So we're going to try and pull the major ideas, the big ports out. There's a lot in here. There's so much in this passage um, that I would love to dig into. And, and some of it we're just going to have to keep going past. We're going to miss the minor things and focus on the major things. <clears throat> I would encourage you to spend time digging into this section because it's been so misunderstood and so misused. There is also in this a lot about, well, what about this passage or that other verse that re- in regards to women? And that's a great study. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about women in general. And that's a wonderful study that is very broad. And we could go into the Old Testament and understand things. We could look at the New Testament and understand things. We could understand the entirety of the role of women. But again, that would take us away from the expositional series that we're going through and become a topical focus. And so I don't want to to sidetrack onto that too much. Again, that's a rabbit trail that is so valuable and so important. Um, But I want to focus in on 1 Timothy. And so we're not going to go on rabbit trails today, mostly. We are going to have to do a few of them. But I'm going to try and keep our focus into 1 Timothy as much as possible and what Paul is dealing with with this specific situation. Now, I will admit that this was a very challenging week for me because of all of these side trails. And, and they're so wonderful. But we're going to have to save them. We're going to start off in verse 8. Therefore, now I don't know about you, but every time I go into Scripture and I see the word therefore, I have to ask myself a question. What is the therefore there for? Yes, it is, it is kind of one of those fun little things. But what is Paul doing? Why does he say therefore? We're getting into this challenging, difficult passage and stretch of, of Scripture, but it's in the context of the whole of the book. And so if we, if we neglect that and we just pull this out and say, okay, we're going to talk about women's roles and, and nothing else, you have completely messed up what Paul's trying to do. Therefore is there to connect it back to what was going on. Well, what were we just looking at? Prayer and God's desire. We need to be praying so that people will come to Christ. Because God's desire is that everyone would be saved. So, as we dig through this, don't take it out of that context. Don't take the, the ideas and the concepts that we're going to be dealing with out of the fact that Paul is helping everyone understand that God wants everyone. Any and all. We, I, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but all means all and that's all all means, right? God wants all to come to him. Sadly, we know that not all will, but that's his desire. And so what we look at this week points back to that idea that God wants everyone to be saved and that in order to achieve that, one of the requirements is that we be praying for that. So what will it take to be able to do this? 
Well, first of all, we need to recognize that we have to lay aside our, our normal bent. Go ahead to the next one. I can't always remember what my, uh, what my slide order is. Mark did say he's going to get me a, a screen up there, so then I'll be able to remember. But there are stereotypes about what men are and what women are, right? You guys remember those? What, what are some of the stereotypes that you are familiar with of, for men, just in general? Breadwinner? Bread okay. Men don't cry. Men don't cry. That, men don't cry. Real men. They're big, they're strong, they're masculine, they're fighters, right? What about, do what? Protectors. Protectors? Okay. What about women? What, what is stereotypes? Now, these stereotypes have a tendency to come from somewhere, but in general, what, are, what, are, what is a stereotype for women? Sensitive? Emotional? Homemakers? Okay. Mothers? Okay. In cooks, cooks. Okay. <laughs> some, uh, yeah. Some of us really appreciate that fact. Um, food is a good thing, as will be att- attested to later on. But there are stereotypes and normal things that people expect, and some of those are reasonable and good and make sense, and some of them are most definitely not. I think that one of the things that's going on here is that we need to understand our, our normal bent and what's normally expected may or may not always be exactly what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do things. And so Paul is trying to lay aside some of those stereotypes, lay aside some of those norms and say, okay, what are we supposed to be? What did God design us for, create us to do, and how do we live up to that? Therefore, verse 8, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Stereotype. Guys are fighters, right? They, they want to win. They're masculine. They're all about... Lay that aside. This is not about winning the fight, dissension, arguments, Get rid of that. When you come to God with prayer, it's not about arguing over all of these things. It's about coming to him with holy hands lifted up. The, the idea that's contained in this is not that, that we need to be in a posture where our arms are raised up high. It's an idea of coming to God with supplication, with request. How many of you like to ask for something? Or would you rather be the breadwinner, as was mentioned? The one in charge, the big guy. And yet, as men, we need to humble ourselves enough to go to God and ask him for help. Ask him to lead us, to guide us. Not not questioning and fighting and well, there I was, and, and Dennis was causing me troubles this week. And God, I, I need you to go beat him up and take him out for me because I'm not allowed to, but I want... That's not, that is not going to God with holy hands. That is not going to God without dissension. Thank you for letting me pick on you, Dennis. I do appreciate that. The first thing in this passage, and that's part of why I, I asked, guys, what are you expecting most of the time, the focus in this is on women. 
And that's not what Paul is doing. Paul is giving instruction to everyone. And guys, we can't just assume that it's going to be all about women and and their roles and, and what they're supposed to do and kick back and relax and say, well, Isaac's not preaching to me this week. He's preaching to the, to the ladies. That's not true. Paul has a lot to say to the guys in this. So if you were planning to kick back, or maybe you already did, it's time to wake up, focus in. Let's listen to what Paul has to say to the guys. I desire, I want, I wish that this were the case, that men in every place... That's not just in every church or in those times in which you're sitting in a pew. That's whenever and wherever you are at all times. I want you to come to God to pray, lifting up holy hands, not with fighting and dissension, not with wrath, doubting, arguing, unsure. Come before God with confidence in who he is. And what his promises have been. But come to him with your hands open, ready to receive his guidance, his direction, his protection, his whatever it is. Because you're not the one who is able to do what God is able to do. So guys, we have to lay aside this idea that, well, I'm sufficient, I'm capable, I'm big and bad and and have it all under control, or I get my way. And instead, come to God and say, Lord, you're in charge. You lead me where you want me to go. You do what you want to do so that people will be saved. So that others will know of who Christ is. Likewise, verse 9, likewise, or in the same way, Paul is going to continue to express a desire of what he wants the women to have. Now notice that this is not a command, but an urge. He encourages, he he directs, within the same context of everything that we've been doing and looking at, but also taking into consideration some of these stereotypes that are going on, even some of the stereotypes dealing with the community there at Ephesus. We're going to have to talk a little bit about the the culture in which they lived and what was going on there, and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. The first part that he deals with, though, is I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as benefits women, making a claim to godliness. Stereotype, women are pretty. Generally, that's true, right? God has created women to be beautiful, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. But what is your focus? Is it, oh, I want everybody to look at me because I've got my hair laid out just right. I've got all the expensive gold and jewelry and pearls and whatever, and, and my dress is the new. I don't even know what the fashion designers are these days or any time. But is that the focus, or is something else the focus? This is a very, very simple concept that Paul's dealing with. And, and this is one of those minors that gets made into a major and, and people are all going into women's fashion and everything else. It's, it's simple. We don't have to complex, make this complex. Ladies, it's fine to look pretty. But if your focus is me, then that's an issue. That's not what it should be. Why? 
Because in the context of what we've been dealing with, what is God's desire? What is God's goal? Do what? To focus on him. To put the focus on God. To put everybody looking towards this Savior who is Christ. Because God desires everyone to be saved. And so, guys, this is true for you too. But ladies, if your desire is that everyone puts their attention to you, then you're taking the focus away from God. That's what it's dealing with. That's the the underlying current in this. I want women everywhere to adorn themselves with proper things. Now, we could easily dig into, well, modesty is this. And, and, and I've heard uh, speakers deal with teenage girls about what they can and cannot wear. And, and well, it shouldn't be cut this way or that way. <laughs> yes, we need to deal with that. But that's not what the main focus is. The main focus is, are you drawing attention to yourself or are you putting attention to God? That's what it comes down to. Rather, this is verse 10, rather by means of good works as benefits women making a claim to godliness. Bring the focus to the good works that you do. It's, it's, I, I have a tendency to brag on different people in different groups and what they're doing. And so I, I always try and be very careful, but I think that there is a point in giving recognition where recognition is doing, where recognition is due. This church has a ladies' ministry that is phenomenal. It's, it's amazing what they do. Um, if you look back at some of the things on the mission board, they give a lot of money to be able to achieve God's work and desire in the world around us. Um, how many uh, shoeboxes were packed this last Christmas? Last year we did 202 for this church. Okay, the, this church, and, and largely that, I mean, the guys were involved, but largely that's the ladies' ministry that makes that happen. There's... Um, I can't even go through all the list. Uh, you've got a, a list of last year's stuff, right? And you gave it to John, who ran away. Um, okay, in the annual pack, it lists out. And it's, it's amazing what the ladies are doing. And that's good works. And you'll also notice that, that the leaders of those things are not about, oh, look at me, look at me, I'm doing these things. In fact, they're very careful to be like, oh, no, it's, it's what God wants. I'm just trying to serve him. I'm just trying to do what he wants. And that's amazing. And I, I think that the ladies' ministry deserves to be recognized for those things, particularly, and th- this was something that was interesting and a little bit surprising to me, particularly when we understand that they don't actually have a direct line item in the budget. They don't get the money from the regular budget. They get money as additional things that people recognize, like, oh, the ladies are able to to do this, to to help make a, a good news club happen or to be able to send gifts or, or presents or things to different missionaries or to do those things as an over and above offering. And so they do amazing things with that. And it, it's so awesome. And I just wanted to take a moment to, to give credit where credit is due and recognize that. But like I said, they don't do it for the focus to be on them. They do it for the focus to be on God. We're supposed to be. Okay, we're ready to go into the tough section.
Verses 11 to 12. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. As I said, this is probably one of the most difficult and debated scriptures about this topic, about the idea of women's roles and what they're supposed to do and all of that stuff. Maybe second only to 1 Corinthians. Um, let the women remain silent in church, that one. Those two passages create all kinds of arguments and whatnot. And again, I think one of the main problems is that the focus is in the wrong place. When you, when you start digging through uh, the historical, grammatical, and literal hermeneutic of understanding the Bible, you've got to go through a process to understand what is the main focus. The, the key idea in this passage is contained in an imperative verb or a verb of command in which Paul gives an instruction, you must do this. Everywhere else, he's talked about, I urge, I encourage. And in other places, there are things that are going on that are describing or, or strongly recommending. I, I use the example uh, when I was in the military. If you had an officer come up and say, hey, Sergeant Jack, uh, it sure would be nice if you... Well, we all knew, those of you who've been in the military were chuckling, we all knew that that wasn't actually a request, that was an order, but they weren't structuring it as an order. Well, there is structured as an order in this. But in order to get to that, we do have to look at the historical, grammatical, literal understanding of Scripture. So I wanted to pause just a moment and dig into that idea just a little bit. Literal, uh, we'll, we'll work through those backwards. I think I've got that, yeah. We'll work through those backwards just a little bit. The idea of literal is, what does it say specifically? Now, some people get hung up on literal and like, oh, well, every word of the Bible is literal. You know, no. Understanding what the author was intending with it specifically. So if he uses figurative speech, then that's to be a figure of speech, and we understand that that's what he meant to convey. And so it's not like putting in our own ideas or, or changing it or trying to, to lead it this way or that. It's what does it say? What does that mean? That's what the author intended us to take from this. That's what we're going to go with. Grammatical, obviously, is that words carry meaning. And we need to understand, based on their normal structure of the phrases, the sentences, the paragraphs, how everything fits together. And then historical. The world in which they lived was a different world than we live in today. The, the ancient Near East had all kinds of different things going on that don't fit the same way that we do. When we deal with stereotypes, uh, we think of, of going to like a hairstylist or the garage. Who would go to a hairstylist, generally speaking? Ladies. Who would hang out in the garage, generally speaking? The guys, right? Okay, uh, what about, I, I know a lot of houses don't have them anymore, but the den. What, what was that? That was the guy's hangout, right? Guys would go there to sit and talk and interact. And what about the kitchen? Well, that's the, that's the ladies, stereotypically, the ladies hangout and, and whatnot. Well, in this culture that we're dealing with, there are certain things that you need to understand about the culture at Ephesus. It had the biggest temple to Artemis or Diana, Ar Artemis or Diana. She was the goddess of that region and everybody focused on that. In fact, Paul kind of ran into a lot of trouble because he was taking away 
too many of the followers who were then not spending their money in that temple. And that created a big hoopla. That cult was a woman-led cult. In fact, guys weren't allowed to do much of anything within that. There were also a lot of Jews in the culture. And the Jews had a cultural setup in which the guys would go off to temple or to the synagogue, and they had their place where they would study and they would learn. And the women were not allowed to go into those places. So there was the men's place and the women's place, and they they were separated, and they didn't interact and do certain things. With that cultural background in mind, Christianity develops something that's a little bit different. And it brings together people. It brings together Jews and Gentiles. It brings together slaves and freemen. It brings together men and women before Christ in a way that's completely different than what's going on in the rest of society around it. So you need to keep that in mind, keep that in the back of your head as we deal with this, that there are some cultural things going on. I think now is probably a good time to go back to the book of Luke. It should be up there. Yes, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. We're going to go take a look at an example. I told you I'd keep the uh, rabbit trails to a minimum, but I think that this is one that will help us understand a little bit about what's going on. Again, culturally, there's a men's place and a women's place. And they, they just, it's normal. And even today, we have some of that. And, and that's not to say that it's always a bad thing. It's just to understand what's going on. But we get to Luke chapter 10, and, and you'll probably remember that Jesus, he goes around and he talks to a lot of people. Well, he had this, this family that he got to know that he really liked hanging out with. Um, and there, there were these two ladies, Mary and Martha. You guys remember Mary and Martha, right? Okay. Well, Mary uh, was a little bit different than Martha. They didn't do things always the same way. As they were traveling along, I'm picking it up in verse 38 of chapter 10. They were traveling along. He entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Great. That's wonderful. She's being welcoming. She's got a place. She's getting some food ready. It's going to be wonderful. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's words, seated at his feet. Okay. Culturally, guys are in one side, girls are in the other. The Mary, or sorry, Martha has invited him in. Culturally, her focus is how do I be hospitable to this guy who's traveling around? Not just some guy, but this rabbi who people know, which means that the crowd follows along and they come in and they're all sitting down. And well, what is a good hostess going to do? She's going to go get food ready. She's going to make sure everybody has a chair. Everything's going well, all of that. And then we find Mary and what is she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Well, why is she doing that? What what does she think? And and Martha, with a reasonable question, comes up. Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. She's getting a little bit frustrated, a little bit fed up. I, I get it. I've had some of those experiences where there's a lot of people show up and you, maybe you weren't necessarily expecting it and, 
it gets a little hectic and crazy. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary. Really, only one. And he doesn't specify that, but what, what is the one thing that is of greatest value and importance? Hmm? Him, Jesus, right? He's been teaching and proclaiming the good news. And Mary recognizes Jesus is only going to be there for a little while. She only has this one little opportunity to interact with him, to hang out and to, to learn from him, to sit at his feet. And so even though culturally it would be really, really unusual, in fact, probably would never happen, that a group of men would be together and the, the rabbi would be teaching and lecturing and the, the ladies are getting stuff ready and Mary walks in to this man area and sits down and is listening. And Martha gets upset about it because she's not helping. But Jesus says, only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I think that what's going on in that passage has direct impact on our understanding of what happens in 1 Timothy. There are stereotypically, particularly in that culture, a, a women's place and a man's place, and never the twain shall meet. And the men get together and they study and they learn and, and they would spend hours and days just pouring over the Torah, the Old Testament, the law, trying to understand what's going on. And women were excluded from that and like, nah, you, you don't need to learn. You, that's not... I told you that there's only one imperative Back in, back in Timothy, there's only one imperative, actually in this whole passage, and it's right here. And it's very rare that I argue with a translation, because generally speaking, most decent, good uh, translations do a good job. But I really don't like the way that, that Nasby did this one. It says, let a woman, which is, is a subjunctive typically, that's not what's happening here. Let a woman quietly receive instruction. The, the structure of the grammar in this one is a direct command to women to learn. And that is by receiving instruction, but to learn is the key here. Which is completely different than the culture and the environment in which they were normally functioning. Women didn't get the opportunity to study. And so in the church, they're going to do something different where it's not that women are excluded, and it's not that women take over like the, the uh, temple to Diana. It's that women and men are to be together studying God's word, understanding what the, the apostles had for them. A woman is to learn and is, is not only allowed to, but commanded to learn. Now, there is a way in which that's done. It is with quietness. And this is one of those, if you want to do a word study, grab this word and dig into it. It's not used a ton of times, but if you look at the Old Testament translation into Greek, it's called the Septuagint. It uses this word in a bunch of different ways. And so you start digging into all of that. I, I mentioned last week, uh, Blue Letter Bible is a great resource and tool. 
Um, after the service last week, someone came to me and let me know that there are actually two versions. There's a classic version and a modern version. They're both great, okay? I'm used to the modern. This person was used to the classic. If you want to learn how to dig in and get into these, by all means, let me know. I will, I will walk you through it. I'll take time to, to show you how to use those and you know, whichever one is most effective for you. That's great. As long as you're digging into Scripture, I'm happy. So there's, a, there's this word of quietly, and it's the way that she's supposed to learn. As she fulfills what she's been commanded, it needs to be done quietly. And that is not with your lips zipped. That's not what it means. It has more of the idea of at peace, at rest. Think back to Mary and Martha. Mary laid aside all of the distractions and the stuff going on and the getting, getting ready for food. And she sat at the Savior's feet and learned from him. And Martha was so busy and active and crazy and everything's going on. And she didn't slow down. So women, focus on learning the scriptures. Understand who God is. Lay aside that distractions, whatever that is, and come to him and learn. Don't say, well, I'm just, I'm just a, a dumb woman who can't understand anything. That's unfortunately what this has been used to proclaim sometimes, and that's wrong. No, women are called up to learn, to be a part of understanding, to lay that stuff aside, the, the others, and focus on the word of God. And to do it with submissiveness, not to, not to the man, not to these other things, but submitting to what they learn. Apply it. Take it and use it and become the woman that God created and designed you to be. Recognizing, verse 12, that there are certain roles that women aren't put into. The culture there at um, Ephesus was such that the women were put into all of everything for Diana. And, and he's saying, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. God still has a structure. God still has a, a framework in which this all functions. But women, you're to be a part of it. You're to learn. You're to follow God's commands. You're supposed to understand these directly. Now, verse 12, I, I don't allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. There's a lot involved in this. And again, this is one of those words. It's only used once in the New Testament. I think it's actually only used once in the whole Bible. So it's a little bit challenging to, to deal with in that regard. <clears throat> but this idea of, I don't allow a woman to exercise authority over a man, contains in it the idea of taking away and controlling. And... Ultimately, the, the word has to do even with the idea of killing someone, which is to take away their self-governance to the, to the point that you remove their life from them. That's in the, in the uh, non-scriptural usage, that's one of the ways that it's commonly used is like to murder someone because you have removed from them their personal direction and authority over their own lives. And so... What Paul is saying here, one of the things is that I don't allow a woman to take away what I have given to a man. I've given men specific roles. Women are not to remove that from them. I've given women specific roles. Men 
by implication, are not to remove those either. And then he goes into a reference back into the Old Testament. We're not going to take the time or be able to dig fully into um, Genesis and everything that he's dealing with. But he goes back to the Old Testament and to the first few chapters of Genesis. And he gives us an example and a reasoning and a basis for all of this. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being quite deceived, fell into transgression. Okay, so I've got a question. If Adam wasn't deceived, what was he? Hmm? Disobedient, henpecked. I think both of those are correct. God created man, Adam, and he gave to Adam a role. The main thing, and I, I would love to spend time just digging into Genesis. It's, it, there's so much in there. But we unfortunately don't have time this morning. Maybe some other. God gives Adam a role to guard and protect and develop and make beautiful the garden and his wife. That's both of them. The garden, he's to tend it, to care for it, to nurture it, to make it beautiful and wonderful and exactly what God created the garden to be. And he's to guard it and protect it. And that's pre-fall. That's before any of that stuff happens. And at the same time, he's to do the same for Eve, to guard her, to protect her, to develop her, to help her become everything that God intended her to be. And what does Adam do? He kicks back, he relaxes, and he lets Eve run it and ruin it. Turn with me. I, I know I said we don't have to. We, we have to. We have to. Go back to Genesis. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the serpent was more crafty than anyone else and comes in and is like, well, did God really say this? Did really God really say that? And uh, long story short, Eve takes of the fruit and she eats of it. Now I've got to find the verse. Someone, huh? Three, six. All right. So they, they have this interaction and the, the snake lies to her. And she's deceived. She, she's trying to figure it out, and she's deceived. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was delightful to the eyes, and that it was desirable to make one wise, we, we refer to that as lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things are where sin comes from all the time. She took from it, and she ate. And a lot of people want to just stop there and be like, oh, well, you know, it's all Eve's fault. She ate the fruit first, and that, that's why we're... No. No, you can't stop there. She gave also to Adam, her husband, who was with her. He was there, and he watched the whole interaction. I'm, I'm about to get fired up. He was there, and he watched the whole interaction, and he did nothing. God put him there to guard her, to protect her, to make her, help her become what God wanted, and he did nothing. Husbands, guys, 
This is the problem with this passage in Timothy that we run into. How many, how often do we do nothing to help our wives learn what the Scripture says? To draw them closer to Christ. To guide them in what God designed them for. That was the role that God gave Adam in the garden and he sat back and just watched it happen. And Eve took of the fruit and ate. And she handed it to him and he said, oh, okay. And he ate as well. Eve was deceived. Adam rebelled. Adam looked up to God and he shook his fist and said, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do whatever she says. Guys, God calls us to so much more. Mankind was created as both male and female. They're created in the image of God, both together capable of fulfilling God's good design. This was true in the garden before the fall. It was true after the fall. It was true in the time that Paul was writing to, and it's still true today. God's design was for men and women together in their unique roles, in their unique ways to glorify him. When men and women fulfill their God-given design, they are able to glorify Him and share the gospel in a way that individually they just can't. Women do certain things so much better than guys do. Guys do certain things so much better than girls do. But regardless of whether you're better or worse at it, there are certain things that God designed women to do and that God designed men to do. And that's one of the rabbit trails that we're not going to get onto of specifically what those are. But we have to understand that God put women and men differently, but together for a purpose, for a role. When we fail to live up to what God designs and try and take somebody else's role, mostly that's women trying to take it away from guys, Or we sit back and do nothing, mostly the guys. The result is a failure to achieve the excellence of what God intended. The result is what we see in the garden. God told Adam, guard and protect your wife and don't eat of this tree. And they're walking along together and they get to the tree and Satan the serpent starts interacting and talking and draws Eve away. And rather than step in and say, hey, God said this, serpent, you're wrong, and guard and protect, Adam stepped back and he let it happen. And he did nothing. Both of them were at fault. Both of them failed. But I would contest that Adam was the bigger failure. Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. Adam was given a specific role to care and guard, and he failed. The reason that this passage, that 1 Timothy has caused so much problem, I believe, is that we men have failed to step up to be what God desires us to be 
what God designed us to be. And as a result, all too often, women are left wondering, well, what am I supposed to do then? I've even been asked that at times of, well, if there's no man to lead these things, then what? Well, that's the problem, men. You're not stepping up. We need to step into those roles and do what God designed us to do. And that takes away even the question of, well, well, how do I do this without men doing it like they're supposed to? Well, guys, do what you're supposed to do. <clears throat> guys, we do women a disservice when we take away their ability to properly fulfill God's role. Nine times out of ten... Godly women want to do what they're supposed to do. And they look around and they see that there's no man to do what he's supposed to do. And she tries to step in and do it. And that's a problem. And that's not her fault. It's your fault, guys. Now, I just bragged about the women in the women's ministry and they do a great job. And, and I appreciate the women's ministry. And in this church, not 100%, but by and large, the guys step up and do what they ought to at least in some regards to this. Um, the ladies get the guys involved to do and to make decisions and to be a part of and to ensure that it all flows with exactly what God wants this body, this church to be doing, and that's great. But there's always obviously room for improvement. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be looking at the issue of what guys are supposed to do of what authority is supposed to be within the church, of how this is supposed to and designed to function. We will dig into that some more in the next couple of weeks. But for now, guys, recognize that God expects a lot from you. And part of that is, in, is to enable women to be at peace while they learn so that they can do good works. If I were to, to drag this entire passage together into one thing, it's a command to the women to learn in peace and quiet what God has so that you can do good works. Not so that you can draw attention to yourself and be the, the center of attention and the focus of everything in so many different ways that that happens, but instead to be at peace and learn from God's word. But men, you must step up to enable them to be, a, be capable of doing that. This passage is not just the do's and don'ts or the can I's and no I can'ts. It's about freedom to sit at the feet of Christ as Mary did and to learn of his ways so that you can be a true disciple of his so that, ladies, you can make disciples just like Matthew 28 says. It's all about making more disciples and having more people come to Christ. And the best way to do that is when we both, men and women, fulfill the roles and responsibilities that God has given us, that God designed us for, that God created and gave to us from the very beginning. Last couple of verses. I know I'm, I'm going over on time. If you hadn't noticed, I love this passage. It is such an amazing one. There's so much in it, and so much of it, unfortunately, is misunderstood and misapplied. Verse 15. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Verse 15 does have some challenges to it. Let me summarize. Back in the garden, God told Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth. They had a job. And to fill it, they were to produce babies. 
As a result of the fall, two things were told to the women. Uh, as a result of the fall, there was the curse that comes into place. And two things happened because of that. The first is that her desire would be a constant struggle over gender roles. Because Adam had already messed that up, I still blame Adam, but her desire, her, her goal is to, be, to take over Adam's role. And there's going to be this constant struggle in the, in the gender roles. The other is that the cost of childbearing is going to be dramatically increased. That's, that's the curse that's given towards the woman. In this passage, I believe that Paul is giving hope that that curse can be reversed as a result of fulfilling the design that God had. Now, obviously, as long as we live in a sin-cursed world, there will always be challenges, there will always be difficulties. But I think that right here, Paul is giving hope to women and saying both of those. When you do what you're supposed to do, and when he does what he's supposed to do, both of those curses, the punishments, the, the difficulties as a result of sin are going to be put down and away into the side. The struggle of gender roles is going to be reduced because a husband, a man, steps up and fulfills what God designed him to be. And that means that we don't have to have that struggle. And I believe here specifically Paul is giving a promise that as a result of living the way that God wanted you to, not, you'll notice, by submitting always and, and rolling over and doing nothing and being just a, a, a floor mat for guys. Instead, by living and continuing in faith and love and holiness. That's what sanctity is, in holiness. With self-control, which goes back up to what it was talking about with the, the way that women are to present themselves. When you do that, I believe that God promises to make childbearing, both the process and the resulting raising of children, easier and better. And yesterday, during our leadership meeting, we kind of delved into that a little bit, and I'm already over time, so I'm not going to go quite as long. But yes, I do believe that there is a promise here for young ladies who get married that God will protect you in the process of bearing children. It's still painful. It's still difficult. I don't deny that. But let me just brag on my wife. This is anecdotal, I realize. But I have an amazing wife who tries to do what God wants her to, to the best of her ability. She had five kids and I think the most pain pill thing that she took was like ibuprofen, Motrin. That's it. I believe that God eases that process as a result of this promise. And I think that there's more to it than that, but I think that that is part of it. Last thing, and then we go. This is a self-control directive towards women. It's not husband's... Get in and, and force your wife to be submissive and to do this. It's not pastors get in and, and tell them and dictate to them. I think what's going on here, I think that Paul is giving the ladies the self-regulating of their attitude in Christ for the accomplishment of his desires. This is not authoritarian dictatorship of a man, but an inward guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
Others, obviously, are going to come around. They're going to encourage. They're going to exhort. They're going to assist in that process. But I believe that God is calling on you to live up to the high calling that he has for women, rather than trying to take on some other role or trying to draw attention to yourself. I think that God is calling you to fulfill what he designed you to do. Guys, next week we will dig into how you are supposed to step up and fulfill God's expectations for you. But for now, women, be what God created and designed and intended you to be. And as a result, you can accomplish his desire that people hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and get saved. It's not a one or the other. And there's so much that we didn't cover and didn't address. I realize that. But ladies, God designed you a particular way to glorify him. Do that. Guys, God designed you a particular way to glorify him. And that includes, don't step back and do nothing. Kick up your feet, drink a beer, relax and enjoy the game. It's be the men that God created you to be. Step up and lead. And all of the challenges and difficulties of this kind of fade away when we live out what God wants us to be on both sides. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a, a tough passage. It's hard to understand. It's hard to deal with. But more than that, it's hard to live it out. God, you call us to a high calling, to a big job, a job that we can't do on our own. But Lord, it's your desire that people would be saved. And you've given men and women both roles and responsibilities in how to go about doing that. And Lord, so often men fail. We either become domineering, authoritarian jerks who force everything around, and that's not what you designed, not what you desire. Or we become lazy, sitting back, doing nothing, and that's also not what you designed. Lord, help us as men to step up to what you want so that the amazing women that you have brought into our lives can do everything that you want them to do. Lord, you didn't create us to be exactly the same. You created us to fulfill your desires in this world. You created us to glorify you by the diversity that we have. Lord, help us to live up to that standard, not to settle for the ways of the world, but to, to glorify you and draw others to you. Lord, that takes more than what, what I can present in one hour of sermon. Help us to dig into your word, to sit at your feet, to learn who you are, both men and women. Help us all to learn of you so that we can glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.